All the Christmas songs. <laughs> Ramped it up a little bit on some of them. We like that. There's a line in the song they sung earlier, Do You Hear What I Hear, that says this. Let us bring him silver and gold. That's a nice sound to it. But I remember the story like this. Let us bring him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We're in a series, Do You Hear What I Hear? Today I want us to look at those mysterious travelers who brought gifts to Jesus. This part of this Christmas story is about the men who come from the east, who are commonly referred to as interesting. I don't think anybody said magi. Did anybody say magi? I did. <laughs> Give them a star, will you? <laughs> no, but it's interesting, and I, I refer to them as wise men too, that their story is only told in the New Testament book of Matthew. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as all the writers of the Bible were, he had been given a purpose for his writing assignment and it was to present Jesus Christ as king, the rightful heir to the throne of King David. So it's no wonder that Matthew shares the story of the men who come from the royal courts of kings in the lands that are east of Bethlehem. Their visit to see Jesus and King Herod's reaction to the visit illustrates that Jesus alone has a rightful place of preeminence over all kings and presidents and world leaders. We read this about Jesus Christ's return to the earth someday. John writes, On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. Read it with me. King of kings... And Lord of Lords. On that day in the future, and we don't know when, but it's going to happen because Jesus said it's going to happen. He's going to wear this banner. It's not going to say, you know, first prize at the county fair or anything like that. This banner across his robe that's going to be emblazoned on it. King of kings and Lord of lords. This symbolizes his sovereignty over all human rulers and for that matter, over all human beings. He alone, Jesus, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There are many questions concerning these men from the east. And some have wondered what would have happened if it had been three wise women instead of three wise men. So there's speculation, and most women believe this would be the answer. The women, first of all, would have asked for directions. <laughs> and they would have arrived on time. They would have helped Mary deliver the baby. And afterwards, they would have tidied up and, and cleaned the area. And to top it all off, they would have made a tuna casserole for everyone there. <laughs> so what do you think, ladies? Is that maybe what would have happened if it had been 
women to the men. Yeah. What would we do without you? We'd be in big trouble. There are other questions. Where are these magi? Who are these magi? And where did they come from? How many were there? What is the light that they saw? And how did it lead them to the city of Bethlehem? How long after the birth of Jesus did the wise men arrive in Jerusalem? How did they know that the baby was going to grow up to be king of the Jews? Their story begins this way. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Right away, we discover something very interesting. The wise men show up after the birth of Jesus. And that runs contrary to the idea that the shepherds and wise men arrive in Bethlehem at the same time on the night of Jesus' birth. We have some nativity sets in my house, and probably you do too. And all the nativity sets that I've seen wouldn't pass the historical accuracy test according to this passage here in Matthew. The shepherds, yes, were present the night Jesus was born, but the wise men come later, although we really don't know how much later. May have been a few days, may have been a few weeks later, and some Bible scholars think even a year or so later, because when the wise men find Jesus, he is with his mother in a house, not a stable, but they've transitioned to a house in Bethlehem. And this is what it says about the Magi. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Matthew called these men Magi from the East. And that's really all we're told about them in Scripture. The term Magi is a Persian word which means these men were probably from the modern-day area known as Iran. And this would put their travel distance from their homeland to Bethlehem at about 500 miles. History tells us these men were elite scholars and philosophers of their day. They were trained in areas of mathematics, astronomy, and religion. These were highly influential and educated men who thought deeply about life and consequently it's perfectly right for us to call them wise men. They were wise men. There's no biblical evidence that there were just three of them on this mission. Maybe it comes from we three kings of Orient are. I don't know. But probably we got the idea that there were only three because there are three gifts mentioned 
given to Jesus. But most believe there were more than three in their traveling group. They don't believe that these men of royal standing traveled by themselves over hundreds of miles of dangerous desert territory. But why have they taken time out of their lives to travel so far? 500 miles back then was a long way. Why have they made such a dangerous journey in face of bandits and desert territory? Well, the answer is they've come seeking the new king of the Jews. And this is fascinating because they knew this baby had been born, but they didn't know where. They knew he was a king, but they didn't even know his name. So they come to Jerusalem, the capital city of the Jews, seeking some help. And they rightfully assumed that everyone in this city should know about this new king. It's a big deal. But they're surprised when they discover that no one seemed to know anything about what these wise men were talking about. Matthew adds a detail to the story that has baffled and intrigued scholars and astronomers for 2,000 years plus. He says, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We have no way of knowing if his star, as the song says earlier sung by the band, had a tail as big as a kite. What did the wise men see and how did they intuitively know that it was the baby star and how did they connect it with Israel? It helps to remember that the wise men were students of the constellations. They were students of the stars as, as being astronomers. It helps to know that in those days, it was not uncommon to associate the birth of a great ruler with unusual signs in the heavens. This special light would fit perfectly with what they believed. But what was it they saw? And frankly, we don't know. The Greek word translated for star is the word aster, and we get the word asteroid from it. You've seen some of those wonderful movies that the asteroids are going to hit the earth. It referred to any bright object in the sky, and it could mean a, a star, it could mean a planet, it could even mean a comet. And there are two main theories about what was seen. The first is that it was a natural phenomena, such as an alignment of planets. The alignment theory has this going for it. It would explain why the Magi saw it and others didn't. The alignment of planets doesn't attract the attention of people who don't normally study the skies because in the alignment, it's not highly visible like a comet or a meteor shower. The second theory put out there is that it was, in fact, 
a supernatural light. This theory suggests that the star was not a natural occurrence or phenomenon at all, but rather was a light placed in the sky by God, especially for the wise men. And when they saw the supernatural light or star, these magi must have sensed that time had come for the new Jewish king. Therefore, they would travel to the west, to Jerusalem, to seek out this new king, and then they would show him worship. The reaction of King Herod, who was the king of Israel at the time, is very fascinating. We read this. When he, King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The word disturbed here means to kind of shake violently. You know, you really got scared. See, even thousands of years before the king of rock and roll, another king named Herod was all shook up. And some of you are saying, what is he talking about? That guy is older than this dirt, isn't he? Does anyone remember Elvis? So he really hasn't left the building, has he? That's good. And you're not going to find that in the Bible about King Herod, okay? But what a great contrast there is between the wise men and this man known as King Herod. It in fact shows the difference between those who come to Christ and accept Christ as their Savior and those who reject Him and don't come to Him. And I believe I'm in safe ground here because I'm not the only one who feels this way. But it comes down to one thing that usually keeps people from coming to Jesus. Pride. P-R-I-D-E. King Herod's pride kept him from the Savior. On the other hand, the wise men came in humility, seeking the Messiah, seeking the Savior. They had studied and they believed the Jewish prophecies in the Scriptures concerning the real king of the Jews. Be warned by this old pastor to be careful because pride can also keep you from the Savior. It was possibly a distance of less than five miles from King Herod's palace in Jerusalem to where Jesus was in the little town of Bethlehem. Herod was just a few miles from the Savior, yet he never went to Jesus. His pride wouldn't let him. And how many people today, on the cusp of 2022, are so close to the Savior, yet they're so far away Their pride 
gets in the way. You see, for any of us to place our faith and trust in Jesus will require humility on our part. Humility means that we admit, yes, we are sinners in need of a Savior's mercy, in need of a Savior's grace, in need of a Savior's forgiveness. Herod, King Herod, excuse me, wouldn't humble himself and he wouldn't go to Jesus. But here's the irony of it all. One day, he will be humbled and he will bow before Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In speaking of Jesus, the Apostle Paul wrote this, So God raised him up to the most important place and gave him the name that is greater than any other name. God did this so that every person will bow down to honor the name of Jesus. Read the next of it with me. Everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will bow. They will all confess, Jesus Christ is Lord, and this will bring glory to God the Father. What does the word everyone mean? It means you. It means me. It means King Herod. It means Adolf Hitler. It means Billy Graham. It means Mother Teresa. It means the Kardashians. How many there are, I don't know. It means Pope Francis. Everyone means all who have ever lived or in the future will ever live on this planet. Everyone is given a choice in life. We can choose to humble ourselves and repent of our sins and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord while we're still alive. Or we can choose to remain in our pride and rely on our own efforts and reject Jesus and his wonderful offer of forgiveness for us. Now, if you make the latter choice, someday in eternity, you will be forced to acknowledge he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But then it's going to be too late for you to experience his mercy. It'll be too late for you to receive his grace and forgiveness. It'll be too late. And you'll be sorry for all eternity. Going back to our story, we read what King Herod did next. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Herod asked the priest, he, he asked the, the preachers of the day, the teachers, the scholars of Scripture. He asked for advice. He has one question for them. Where's this child these magi are talking about going to be born? Now the priest and the teachers, they didn't have to go to the, the library and look through the books. They knew the answer because 700 years earlier, the prophet Micah had predicted that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem someday. That last phrase, you Bethlehem. 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Now if you add what the teachers and the priests in the area of Jerusalem knew to what the wise men who lived some 500 miles away had figured out, you can conclude pretty easily that the signs of Jesus' birth were not beyond human understanding. That is, if. If someone wanted to know, if someone wanted to understand. The wise men who lived hundreds of miles away knew, and they did something about what they knew. The Jewish religious leaders who lived a few miles from Bethlehem knew, but they chose to do nothing. Matthew writes, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. King Herod calls the wise men, here referred to as the Magi, and he asked them when the star first appeared. So guys, when, when did you first see this light in the sky? He didn't tell them why he wanted to know, and we had to jump ahead in the story to find out. And so we do that by the magic of our screen. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with, uh, what is it? Time he had learned from the Magi. It appears from this verse that the wise men told Herod the star first appeared to him, them, some two years earlier. Does that mean Jesus had been born two years earlier? Or did the star appear those two years earlier to give the wise men plenty of time to, to make their preparations, get their provisions, plan their route, and then travel from Persia to Israel? But we can't be sure. It would only be speculation on our part. But it seems that Herod assumed the star first appeared to the men when Jesus was born. That's why the order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and younger. Kill them. Kill them. 
Herod asked the Magi to go to Bethlehem, find out where this boy is, this baby who's causing me so much trouble, and then report back to me because, you know, I want to go and worship him. I haven't yet, but I really want to now. He wanted the wise men to believe that he was going to go worship this new king of the Jews. Herod's up to no good here. Jesus referred to him as a sly fox. And for all their smarts, the wise men fall for his deception. But really, let's don't be too hard on them, because why shouldn't they fall for this? If they've come hundreds of miles seeking to worship the child, why wouldn't Herod travel a mere five, six miles to do the same? They have no reason to suspect his motives. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were what? Overjoyed. At this point, another unusual thing happens. As the Magi set out for Bethlehem, just a few short miles, the star they originally saw reappears. And verse 9 here is very specific. It says the star went ahead of them until it came and stopped over the place where Jesus was. You've seen those helicopters, police helicopters, with the light. I've even seen the guys running or someone in the car, and it's just, man, they can't outrun that light. And all of a sudden, boom, there it is. There's the perpetrator. That light was very helpful because they knew the child was in Bethlehem, but the wise men didn't know where in Bethlehem. And that light, that crazy light, leads them right to the house. There it is. Just like painting a big X on the top of it. Now, I don't know about you, and I'm no astronomer, but that doesn't sound like any natural star to me. It sounds like a miraculous light or star that God used to lead the wise men to the house where Jesus was living now. No wonder they were overjoyed. Man, what a journey we've had. And it's over. This long, hard journey of us is over. We have found what we wanted to find. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. I wonder when the Magi finally found Jesus, were they disappointed in any way? After all they'd been through, Did what they find seem a little anticlimactic? You know, it might have seemed that way when you think about it, because this child didn't look like any king. His home didn't look like any palace. He had no crown on his head, no fine royal tapestries around his neck. There was nothing to make you think that Jesus was a king destined to rule someday over all creation. You see, to the natural eye, he was no more than a young child born in poverty. But to the wise men, 
he was a king. Somehow, they saw beyond the present circumstances and time, and they looked in the spirit into the future in faith, and they worshipped this baby, this young child. They believed this child would one day rule as king of kings and lord of lords. That's why they humbled themselves. That's why they bowed down. That's why they worshipped him. When the Magi met King Herod earlier, we don't read that they bowed down and worshipped him. The worship and the adoration that King Herod so desperately wanted went to Jesus instead. It's been said that true worship involves giving. And giving seems to be the part of the story for which the wise men are most remembered. Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with, read it with me, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There wasn't any silver, but the gifts represent a worthy tribute to a king. There's an ancient tradition that says the gifts and sees these gifts as symbolic of who this child would grow up to become. Frankincense was used in the temple worship. It represents Jesus' deity, for he is truly God in human flesh. Myrrh was a kind of perfume used to prepare bodies for burial. And myrrh points to his humanity, for he was destined to suffer and die for the sins for all humankind. And then finally, gold represented the wealth and power of a king, and it points to Jesus' majesty, for he is the king over all. I don't know if the Magi fully understood the significance of their gifts, but God arranged it. So the gifts would point us to who Jesus was and why he came. The very last word we read about the wise men is this. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another way. God allowed the wise men to escape from crazy Herod by sending them home a different way. They had seen, they had worshipped the future king, and their mission was accomplished. They went home praising, no doubt. So here are three, do you see what I see takeaways from this Christmas story? Number one, if the wise men can find Jesus, then so can any one of us. Think of how many barriers they had to overcome to get to Jesus. There was a culture barrier. There was, a, of course, a distance barrier. 
There was a language barrier. There was a racial barrier. There was a religious barrier not to speak of a hostile king and indifferent religious leaders. It wasn't easy for the wise men to find Jesus. But they did because they were determined to do so. And I'm telling you today, if they found him, so can you, so can I. If we have the same determination and will to do so, nothing can stop us from finding Jesus and making him the Lord of our lives. But I say again, if, if we have the will and determination to do so, we can find him. Don't give that as your excuse when you stand before God someday. I didn't know where Jesus was. Second takeaway is this. If God can use a star or a supernatural light, call it whatever you will, if he can use that to reach the wise men, then he can use anything to reach anybody. If you're like me, sometimes you lose hope over ever seeing your family or friends come to Christ because nothing we say, nothing we do seems to have the slightest effect on them. It's just boom. But this story ought to give us renewed hope this morning. Our God is infinitely creative in what he can do to reach people who seem so far from him this morning. Our God can use a bright heavenly light. Our God can use an insightful book. Our God can use a joyful event in their life. Our God could use a movie. Our God could use a tragic event in their life. Our God could use a brief conversation. Our God can use anything he desires. That's why he's God. If God can reach the wise men, he can reach anybody we know this morning and we're praying for. Don't lose hope. And finally, number three in our takeaway this morning, if the wise men offer Jesus gifts fit for a king, then so should we. It's good to remember that the tradition of giving gifts at Christmas didn't start with St. Nicholas, also known as Santa Claus. It started, in fact, with the wise men. Now, I'm all for giving gifts, and I think it's good to give gifts to each other, but it's even better to give gifts to Jesus. It's good to show our love to those we care about and love but it's even better to show our love to the one who did love us first. The most important thing that we can do this Christmas season is to give our lives to Jesus. 
He's not looking for your gold or, or your frankincense or your myrrh. He wants you. The one who loved us so much that he left the splendors and the beauty and the grandeur of heaven to be born in a stinky old stable and then one day grow up and hang on a cross to die so that our sins could be forgiven. That's the one we give our life to. The wise men were wise, infinitely wise. And we will be wise also if we follow their example. Let us bring him the gift he wants most, our hearts, our love, our lives, our devotion. Shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you for these men who we know very little about. But in pulling the story apart, we can learn some great truths from their lives and this episode in the Christmas story. There's not a person in here that can't find Jesus if they really want to, if they have the will to do so. And Lord, I pray if there's someone within the sound of my voice this morning who wants to find Jesus, that you would just show them the path, the way to take. And Lord, we've all exchanged gifts and given gifts these last few days. We've seen the smiles on the children's faces. Lord, we, we've received something that was meaningful to us. But in reality, all this stuff will pass away. No matter how expensive the gift was, it will all pass away. And Lord, what really lasts forever would be the fact that we give ourselves to you, our love and our devotion and our very lives. So Jesus, who's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords, we offer to you ourselves today. Take us broken and bruised and shattered and hurt and make us new people for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, if you'd like prayer, there'll be uh, three prayer people right here on the left. So I invite you to come forward for prayer. I hope to see you next year, okay? <laughs>